Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 21. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever had it up to here with someone and said, I give up. I give up. Do you think God ever looks at us and how disheveled we can be and says, I give up on these people. Ah, drive me nuts. Well, to help us answer this question this morning, we got a parable from Matthew 21. The parable of the mutinous and murderous managers. Yeah, that's the title. And it's LWML Sunday. I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's like, this is a great gospel reading for, uh, for this Sunday. Yeah, lots of violence and bloodshed. Well, there we go. Okay. Okay, it's the rated R gospel reading today. Okay, well, there we go. Back to the sermon. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, this parable, dear friends, really brings us into the heart of our God. Let's go. What grace when Mr. Owner rolls up his sleeves and does all the heavy lifting to get a vineyard up and running and then hires men to manage the pruning and the picking and the packing. Another vineyard parable. Have some of you been counting? This is uh, not, this is how many weeks? Not three weeks. Three weeks of vineyard parables. And uh, last week's parable, also a vineyard parable, uh, the parable of the two sons, that parable, along with this parable, is aimed at the religious rock stars. And they actually know that this parable is about them. We get that info at the end of our gospel reading, verses 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious rock stars, heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Now with today's parable, Jesus exposes their plot to murder him, but it doesn't change a thing, does it? They still, they still, they still execute Jesus. They kill him. But what they meant for evil, Jesus will use for good. Their good, your good, my good, our everlasting good. Such objection and opposition will be used by our God to fulfill his mission to extend and share grace to every single nation. There is so much grace packed into this parable this morning. Even the first verse of this parable, gobs of grace. Verse 33, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Now, Mr. Owner takes the initiative. Uh, plants, fences, digs, builds. He rolls up his sleeves and he does all the heavy lifting to get this vineyard up and running. There's no doubt that this is his 
vineyard, his fingerprints all over it, only he can say that this is mine. I did. I made this vineyard. Well, it's time for grapes. Because that's what vineyards are good for, right? Grapes. I know some of you travel up to Traverse City once in a while. So do I. And you go up there for the grapes, right? Only the grapes. Yes, of course. Um, forget the wine. But, uh. And so it's time for the grapes. The, uh, the, uh, the uh, pulling, the, the pruning, the, the picking, the, the, the packing, you know, pulling the weeds, pruning the branches, picking the grapes. Packing the bushel baskets. Now, Mr. Owner ain't going to do any of that. It's not his job. He hires other men to do that for him. He gets men to manage the vineyard for him while he goes off on a trip to a far, far away country. Now, he's not going to forget this vineyard. He will require the fruit that belongs to him. He will. But when Mr. Owner wants to collect his fruit, his fruit, emphasis on his, his fruit, the managers, uh, well, they, they uh, what do they do? Uh, give his collection agency the boot because they claim it's their fruit and that's such a hoot. It's a joke, a big joke. Now it's harvest time and and this should be a jolly good time had by all. Mr. Owner actually expects the managers to joyfully share the fruit and they celebrate together. None of that though, right? None of that. Verse 34. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another, and stoned another. So those from the collection agency aren't just denied and defied. They're done. They're put six feet under. They're murdered. Every single dead body is a message to Mr. Owner that this fruit, this vineyard, mine, 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 mine. So what is Mr. Owner going to do with these thugs who are running his vineyard like a cartel? Is he going to change his ways? Go with a different play? Perhaps uh, give, Mr. give the collection agency some ammunition? to uh, threaten the mutinous, murderous managers with extinction. None of that. He doubles down on the same play. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Now, you know the definition of insanity, don't you? Doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Expecting different results. You would think that Mr. Owner would have learned a little something here. They keep treating his collection agency the same way, putting them six feet under. But he doesn't learn. 
He doesn't change his ways. Now, if you thought that, you know, Mr. Owner has been outrageous thus far, it gets even more outrageous. The next scene is even more outrageous than what we've heard thus far. In the face of the manager's mutiny, violence, bloodshed, Mr. Owner decides to send his son instead. But no surprise, the son winds up defied, denied, dead. Dead as a doornail. Mr. Owner must be dense as a rock. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Woo, goody, goody. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, why would they treat the son any differently? Up to this point, I mean, Mr. Owner doesn't seem much of a threat. Impotent, powerless, weak. There's nothing to be afraid of whatsoever. And so then when they see the son approaching the vineyard, like, oh, yeah, here's our lucky day. Let's, let's kill the son. And then we get the vineyard. It will be all ours forever. Now, this is a really stupid plan because, well, Pops is still alive. He's kicking He's breathing. He's alive and well. But they're really putting their chips on Pops being dead. So they kill the son and they think they've won. Dear friends, what great perversity from every single manager, but what even greater patience from Mr. Owner. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? What kind of history lesson he's giving? He's actually giving a history lesson on Israel. In just a few short verses, Jesus is making it clear. He's, he's spelling it out for them. The many, many centuries that the religious rock stars were hostile towards God and towards his prophets. Yeah, the religious rockstars, they're the managers of this parable, of this vineyard. God putting them in charge over Israel, and you heard it from the OT Old Testament reading, Israel pictured as what? As what, a Chuck E. Cheese? No, of course not. A vineyard. And that is a, pic a picture, an image for Israel throughout the Old Testament. All grace, all his initiative, all his choice, all his decision. The vineyard is his doing, and he handpicked the leadership. They can't take any credit for the position that they have. All God's gift. But instead of these guys actually being humbled, they were hardened. Doggedly defiant for decades upon decades. They killed the prophets that the Lord sent to them, his collection agency. And all the prophets were looking for 
with some fruit, spelled F A I T H. Faith! Faith in Yahweh, faith in the Lord, and love for the people around them. This God, so, so patient. So patient, strives for souls with, with, with such steadfastness and loving kindness. Now, we would have said, I give up after the first sending. <laughs> I give up on this people. They drive me nuts. Not the Lord. His faithfulness is so much greater than man's folly, man's foolishness. What grace from our God who doesn't give up on anyone since he gave up his only son. Who is the murdered son in the parable? Say it with me. Three, two, one. Jesus. Jesus. The timing and the target of this parable is so, so crucial. It's Holy Week. And Jesus is about to be railed and nailed. Buried six feet under. And that's what this parable says, right? Spells it out. What will God do to the religious rock stars who will soon have innocent blood on their hands? Verses 40 and 41. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. You see what they did here. They, they, they actually condemned themselves. They condemned themselves. Since the managers treated Mr. Owner so shamefully, they believe that Mr. Owner is going to treat the managers shamefully. That's how, that's how the world operates, right? Tip for tat, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If I wound you, commit some injustice against you, step on your toes, well, I'm going to be a little afraid around you. I will be. Thinking, well, is this person going to going to play get-evens, go for a payback, seek vengeance, go for the jugular. That's not our God, though, is it? Our God is the God who breaks the cycle of vengeance and violence, and he does so in the most unexpected way by being beaten, bloodied, buried. Jesus is the one who takes responsibility for man's mutiny and is murdered outside at Calvary so that by his rejection, he can open the door for our reception as an heir, a daughter, a son. Now, Jesus goes from the image of the vineyard to the image of the cornerstone. There's a little switcheroo here. 42... 43, Jesus said to them, have you, never, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Now, Jesus here quotes Psalm 118. Now, that's very appropriate. 
Because Psalm 118 is the very psalm in the mouths of the people as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, Palm Sunday. They're crying out those words from Psalm 118, like, like these verses. Save us, Hosanna! We pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord. That's where Jesus wants to put you and me and even these religious rock stars who are his enemy. He wants to put us in his home, not as, you know, servants, slaves, but as siblings. As siblings. This is why Jesus leaves his kingly hall and is born in a lowly manger stall to build a home for us all. He has his yellow hard hat on, dear friends, and he's going to build a home with himself being the, the cornerstone. And he's going to do it in a way that just baffles all of us. He's going to do it in the, in the most amazing act of love ever. Foolishness to the world, stupidity to most men that walk on this planet, but it's the Lord's doing. He knows what he's doing. Now the religious rock stars, they look at Jesus and all they see is a stone, a pebble, and their flippy floppies, their sandals. And I think you know that feeling, don't you? A stone, a pebble, in your shoes, it's annoying. That's how they see Jesus. He's, he's annoying. Every step they take hurts. Ouch! We don't like it. We don't like you, Jesus. So what do you do with a stone in your flippy floppies, in your shoes? You get rid of it. You throw it away. And that's what they do to Jesus. They toss him out like a piece of garbage, a piece of trash. And they toss him on a piece of wood in the midst of the city dump. And there on the cross, Jesus suffers the greatest horror of human history. Dead, condemned, for our sin. What the uh, wretched religious rock stars had coming. And really what uh, wretched you and wretched me had com coming, Jesus takes in our place so that he can give us the most amazing grace. The most amazing grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found was blind, but now I see, you see, we all see. We see this Jesus get crucified, dead, buried, and raised on the third day. His resurrection, dear friends, the Father uses to establish him as the cornerstone of a whole new edifice, a whole new building, a whole new home, the Christian church created by water and the word which we will sing at the end of this service. And you and I are members of this household, the Christian church. We can't take any credit for it, right? It's all grace, all of it. His initiative, his choice, his decision, and he decided for you and for me at 
the font where he carried us into his home, riding on the waves of his grace. That river of amazing grace, washed into the family of God. Since Jesus, since, excuse me, because of his cold, calculated rejection, the door is now open for a gracious reception to all. As daughter, as son. This is what God desires. It's what he wants more than ever, to fill up his, his house. So no giving up on anyone, even the religious rock stars, by the way. Remember, you know, Pentecost. Yeah, you know, you know Peter preaching his uh, You Crucified God sermon. And there were some of those religious rock stars there. And they were cut to the heart, and then they cried out, Peter, what must we do to be saved? Well, okay, let me get my list of laws out for you and commandments. And, uh... <laughs> no! He said, believe and be baptized. Have all of your mutiny, all of your rebellion, all of your high treason, all of your misses and messes, all of your sins washed away in that lavish flood of grace. And come stand in the house of your God, for he is now your father, and you are now his beloved kiddo. And he's tickled pink with you. He absolutely adores you and is pleased with you. He accepts you as his own. And 3,000 people that day were added to the family of God. And people continue to be added to the family of God to this day. So let us, dear friends, live in the house of the Father, not giving up on anybody, but sharing grace, regardless of, you know, apathy, animosity, Knowing that God uses this Holy Spirited grace to transform foes into family. Now, I know it's so easy to say, I give up. I give up. When, you know, family, friends walk away from the faith. When people at school or at work criticize us for our faith. When people in our neighborhood just don't seem to care about any faith. Remember, though. God's heart beats for them. God's heart beats for you and for, for me. God's heart beats for every single person that we, that we meet. Everyone. So God granted that our heart beats for this world. Have a, you know, a John 3.16 kind of heart, right? Aaron loved the world. Loves the world. Fran loves the world. Kim loves the world. God granted that we are given such a heart for the world. So let's not, you know, give up on anyone. God's house is so big that the whole world can get squeezed into it. And it's God's grace that gets guys and gals into his house. So let's share grace at grace. Breathe that resurrection hope into the lives of those who think they're at the end of their rope. Love those 
who deem themselves unlovable, prove them wrong. Proclaim forgiveness that's bigger than all the misses, all the messes. Pray for those who are wandering and have gone astray. One of the easiest ways for us to share grace, dear friends, here at Grace, is to pray for the, the lost. To pray for them. Now, uh, I had this member in New York named Artis. She was homebound. Her family no longer went to church. And she prayed for her kids and her grandkids to enjoy life in the home of their father. She never gave up on them. She died with a prayer on her lips for her family. We had the funeral. Guess who showed up the Sunday after the funeral? Some of artists' kids and grandkids. And those kids and grandkids are still living it up, enjoying life in the Father's house at Zion, Owego, New York. What a surprise artists will have in the resurrection when she sees that her prayers were answered. God's grace prevailed. God's grace continues to prevail. Our God doesn't give up on anyone since he gave up his only son. This is why artists did not give up. And this is why we here at GLC won't give up either. God's grace all the way. God's grace here to stay. God's grace shared each and every day. Behold the people of grace. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Thank you.